So God, we come and we ask that you speak to our hearts and our minds, that we just see the beauty of your word and how much you have for us in being in a relationship with you. May my friends here today sit with you and know that they are loved. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be with you. Uh, if you're new here, I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors, and um, it's always fun to be able to come and stand in front of people and start a new year, 2020. Uh, a lot of times people make resolutions, those types of things. I don't really make many resolutions. We all know that I start a diet every Monday. Um, it's just kind of what happens, so why even make that resolution? Um, and we look at different opportunities that we have as a church and as individuals who are worshiping and praising a wonderful God. Here's a question I have for you as you look at the new year. If you're a parent, what is your goal as a parent? I want you to think about that for a moment. Some, for some of us, goal of the parent is to get them out of your house alive. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. It's got to be better than that. But that, that might be for some of you, according to what happened in your life yesterday, maybe you're going, that is the only goal, to get them out of the house. Maybe some of you need to think about not only what your goal of a parent is, what's your goal as a, as a friend? Do you, do you have those goals of being a biblical friend to people? Are you a biblical friend? I have amazing brothers here in this church. Amazing people because I know their life. I know the, the intricacies of their life. Every single elder who is here in this church, I love dearly. I have a list of how I pray for them and how I pray for their spouses and how I pray for each of their children because I love them. And you live life together. You get to know each other. And that's called being a biblical friend to me. Do you have goals of what it is to not only be a parent, but also a biblical friend? What does that look like? How about um, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what are your goals? And I want to talk about this a little bit because we even have goals as a church. I want to speak about what are some of the goals for us, not only in 2020, but the goals of Chapel Point. What does that look like and feel like for us as we move together as a congregation? Because one thing I know is if you've been here for more than about a week, you'll recognize God is blessing Chapel Point. Amen? And you're part of that blessing. And so we go, what, what are our goals? What are we really trying to be about? Who are we fully? And so today, I want us to consider a little bit about what our goals are, what we are willing to do as a church, because we know that first and foremost, when we look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we're going to start there today, but then we're going to conclude with Matthew chapter 14. Next weekend, I'm diving into a new series in John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 called Jesus, a clear view of God. But this week we get to talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2, a popular passage for us because our vision statement is to be transformed followers of Jesus. Can you say that? Transformed followers of Jesus. And we do that by passionately responding to God, being rooted in prayer and the Bible, and by equipping disciples. It's right above the fireplace if you ever forget it. Can't miss it. Big letters. 
And that's important for us. And where we primarily get that is throughout Scripture from Colossians, 1 Corinthians, but also Romans chapter 12, the Gospel of John as well. We look at all this and we go, well, Romans 12 really lays out for me best practices of a believer. In a lot of ways, it's laying out the best practices of a believer, best practices of a church, and what those goals should be for a congregation. And it is rooted in transformation. And transformation is rooted, according to Romans chapter 12, in sacrifice and surrender. So what does it look like to sacrifice and surrender to God fully, to be transformed, to recognize who God is because we trust in what he says and what he has done. So I'd, I'd like to read for you um, a paraphrase of the gospel. I don't do it often, but sometimes I share from the message, um, and some people ask about that. Um, you need to know, I think this is a paraphrase, not a literal interpretation of scripture, but sometimes I think it can give us some insight. In a little bit, I want to jump into the word of God and then read that word for word. Um, here's a paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I want you to understand the direction that Paul is, he's the author that's taking us in, the movement that it's pushing us toward before we jump into the scriptures, okay? So here's what it says. Um, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and I want you to place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Because God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what we desire to do as a church, to be transformed by God, to allow our eating and our sleeping and our lying down, to allow our relationships, to allow our work, to allow everything to be transformed by Jesus because we know that Jesus is worth giving everything to. It's all about experiencing transformation. As a church and as individuals, we also recognize that God, because of transformation, we know that God is more interested in changing our heart than in changing our situation. And that's important for us to recognize. It's something we speak about often. God desires to transform our heart more than anything else. This is what can take place in someone's life is they have a particular view of something and they look at it and they go, this is horrific. And then they have their hearts transformed by God and the same situation is there and they go, oh, God wants me here to make a difference in the impact of those people. That's what takes place when you have a transformed heart. We want transformation to impact us in every single way. And we know that God is far more interested in changing our heart than in changing our situation. This passage is all about sacrificing our desires and everything else to God. And so we desire to be a church of sacrifice. It tells us very clearly to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's the language of worship from the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament here as well. But here's the actual translation, Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the ESV. 
And this is what it says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the, hey, God helping you, you take your everyday life, every part of it, every component of it, every piece of it, and you place it before God as an offering. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and what is perfect. That's what we are trying to do. If you're a transformed follower of Jesus, you're wanting to figure out what is your goal as a believer in Jesus Christ. It certainly isn't to remain the same. We know transformation is a continual process. That's why I keep going around uh, over the last week or two and I say, hey, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in 2019? I want people to be able to answer that because I want you to be able to examine how you're growing in Christ, how you're growing in your faith right now. Not to remain stagnant or apathetic or complacent, but to be transformed, to be renewed. That's the renewing of your mind. So what's the greatest thing God's teaching you? If you can't tell me what God is teaching you, it's hard to continually grow in him. I can't encourage fathers, husbands, lead the way in those conversations. Even today, to, to look at your friends and your family and say, hey, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in 2019? What does that look like for you? For me personally, one of the great lessons God's taught me in 2019 is to play the long game. To make sure that I'm not only looking at things that are right now in one week's notice or one month's notice because I love to move and to do, and to, but to play the long game, to, to hopefully have influence along with you to impact the kingdom of God. He tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We know in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So the ultimate sacrifice has already been made. But now, it's almost if you're a follower of Jesus, you're eager to sacrifice for him. One of the things that you sacrifice, according to this passage, is we sacrifice our bodies. It tells us very clearly, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, we know already that Christ has been that perfect sacrifice, but really it's about saying, you know what, it's not just our heart and it's not just our mind. We sacrifice all of ourselves for the glory of God. And not only do we sacrifice all of ourselves, but as a living sacrifice, he's saying in life, in being active, I want you to sacrifice what you have for me because you know the beauty of what I've done for you. To be a living sacrifice to offer all of ourselves to Christ. This is what we're striving for as a church, right? To be those transformed followers of Jesus and to even strive for holiness. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, holy and acceptable to God. A body is holy because of what it does and how it's being used as an instrument of God. May our bodies and our actions and our lives and our words and our conduct be holy because it's pleasing to God. That's what we're striving for in 2020. 
It's, it's the illustration of maybe you've been to the dentist before. If you don't know a goal of a parent, take your kid to the dentist when they had the wisdom teeth or molars removed and they've been shot up and given some, right? And videotape them on the way home and post it online. Right? And they just start saying all kinds of crazy stuff. I remember a year and a half ago, a year and a half ago, something like that, my daughter broke her arm. She, because of um, the drugs that she was given, she was just loopy. Um, and uh, on the way home, it was fun. I, I, I spent the rest of the afternoon with her because she had, she broke her arm. I told you that story really well. Both places, both bones, just straight in two. The arm was doing all like this, flopping around. It was horrific. And so here's my daughter. She's, everything's been straightened and um, there she is. She's got a big cast on, on her whole body, it felt like. And, but she's loopy. And I'm like, hey, who's your favorite? Am I your favorite? And she goes, yeah. And uh, who do you love the most, your daddy? Yeah. And I was trying to just really indoctrinate her through all that. And then I'll be like, hey, do you want to? I just wanted to see how loopy she really was. And I'd be like, hey, do you want to go to the moon? Yeah. You want to go tomorrow? Okay. Like, that just, that was who she was because it had consumed her so badly when you've been transformed by Jesus Christ, when you've allowed Jesus to jump into your life fully, shouldn't we be completely controlled by him? There's no holding back. We're all in. It's just come into our life and it's just a part of everything that we say and do and think. And that's the beauty of Jesus. And so in order for you to, help, to help, help us all understand what I'm trying to communicate about who we want to be as a goal of 2000 and 2020 and even beyond, I want to look at Matthew chapter 14. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, because I, I think it paints a picture of who we want to be in 2020 and who we desire for you to even possibly be in 2020. Those transformed followers that are sacrificing all of ourselves to God and what that can be and look like. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 14. And this is right after Jesus had already fed the 5,000. He took the, some loaves of bread and some fish from a boy and he said, hey, I need to use this. He feeds 5,000 people minimum. That was just counting the men, not the women and the children at that time. And so he's feeding all these individuals and the crowds are all around them. This was early on in his messianic ministry, and he's doing this amazing thing, and everybody's crowding up around him, right? It talks about all the pieces of bread and fish left over. And then it says immediately after this, this is Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. People were everywhere, and they were just crowding him. So he's like, disciples, go to the other side. I'm coming in a second. And he's dismissing all of these people. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And it's one of the things that we continually see Jesus doing in his ministry is going alone by himself to a place to call out to the Heavenly Father. And so he goes and he calls out to the Heavenly Father. And it says, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. You can imagine them going. And it must have been some type of storm or something. We know because it says beaten by the waves. Otherwise, the boat certainly, they, they were fishermen, many of the disciples by trade. And, and not all, but many. And so they would have been accustomed to this. And it's actually speaking about the boat being beaten by the waves. It says, for the wind was against them. 
And so something's taking place there, and it, and it tells us, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So just picture all of a sudden there's Jesus walking out to them as the disciples are in the boat and the wave is hitting the sides of the boat because they're against the wind and they're trying to figure all this out. And it tells us, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, as I think I would be as well. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, when I think about who we're really wanting to be as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ, who are transformed, but also as a congregation, as a church, who we're really wanting to become as followers of Jesus Christ, I think this passage says it well. One, we want to be a church that's willing to actually get out of the boat and to truly be obedient to God. And I know that many of us, we like our safety, we like our predetermined answers, we like to make sure that everything is safe and everything is managed before we take any steps of change whatsoever. But as a church, as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we want to do is we want to follow the example of Peter, Because here's Peter, he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he requests something that's pretty radical. Remember, just prior to this, he sees Jesus coming. They don't know who it is. He calls out, it's a ghost. They're fearful. That fear overcomes them, overwhelms them. Jesus then calls out to them and says, don't worry, do not be afraid, it is I. And so immediately, here's Peter's response, Let me come to you. I want to come out there. It's the first thing that we see here that I'm praying that will be you and us, is I'm praying that we'll be a church that is willing to ask boldly. That we'll be a church that's willing to ask boldly. Peter stepped out and asked boldly. It's the question I have for you. When you look at 2020 or 2021, 2022, any of those things, it doesn't matter what it is. When you look at the next week of your life, what are you asking? What are you praying about that requires God to do, otherwise it doesn't happen? I mean, do you have those things in your life where you go, man, I know that if this takes place, it's only by the power and the grace of God. You see, I think many, many times in our life as followers of Jesus, what we're willing to ask for from God reveals our faith in that very God. Small God, small ask, big God, big ask. Are you willing to ask boldly that God uses you in your life to proclaim the kingdom, not to promote self more than anything else? What are you asking boldly for God to do?
as a friend, as a parent, as a follower of Jesus, as a partner in the ministry here at this church? What are you asking God to do in your life? Another great question to ask at lunch. What are you asking God to do in your life right now that requires God for it to take place? Right, that's one of the things I'm asking God to do is to really allow us to have the wisdom and the discernment and the humility to be able to partner with other churches. You know, we're, churches are prideful because they're full of people just like everything else. And, and I'm praying that God, and I'm asking God, let there be a great work amongst the ministries in this region, in this area, in order to do a greater work for the kingdom. Are you asking God? To, and then the only way that happens is if God steps in. Are you asking boldly of God to do something in your life? And I want us to learn more from Peter. I want us to be a church, and I want you to be an individual that not only asks boldly of God, but then as a result, you respond with courage. I know people like to focus on the fact that Peter began to sink, but the simple fact that he was willing to step out of the boat is amazing to me. And too many of us, we like our seat on the boat. We don't want to get up. We'd rather stay exactly where we are, and we want to sit exactly where we've always sat and not move at all. We certainly aren't going to go, I want to come out there. There's, the wind was blowing. The waves were beating against the side of the boat. And many of us would never go, hey, God, can I come out there? I want to ask boldly, and then I want to respond with courage. Are you willing to ask boldly? And are we willing to even ask boldly? And then to respond with courage. That's what it means to be a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. It means that not only will we claim God's power, but that we will actually live in God's power. We know as transformed followers that every time God speaks, it demands a response and the enormity of our response depends on the depth of your transformation the enormity of your response depends on the depth of your transformation how has God transformed your life to ask God to do the bold and to give you the courage to respond. I'm just proud that Peter got out of the boat. Now the thing that got Peter, and all of a sudden we know that he got out of the boat and he began to sink, and Jesus reached out his hand and took him and helped him, of course. But Peter began to sink when his faith shifted, when his eyes shifted from Jesus to the circumstances. That's what took place. That's what, that's what we see happening. Peter began to sink because he shifted his eyesight from Jesus to circumstances. And so often we're so consumed by the circumstances and the situations in our life that we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. That's why I was speaking about it previously. We need to make sure that we understand that God is far more concerned about the transformation of our heart than the situations and the circumstances in our lives because that's when Peter began to sink. 
Are you sinking right now in your faith or are you being lifted up in your faith because of your belief and your eyesight staying focused on who Christ really is? Where are you? Ask these questions. Which leads us to wanting to make sure to this third thing. I look at this passage. We want, we want to be people who believe regardless of fear. It says, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came to Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We want to believe regardless of fear. It doesn't say that we're going to believe because there is no fear. We know that fear is going to be present because we are sinners, but we are going to choose to believe even as a church and to have faith even when things are hard and even when things are difficult, even when fear may overwhelm us. We know right now, it, it is especially for this country, for believers in the United States, and to, to get really honest, incredibly, uh, incredible clarity right now, it's a scary time for many believers in the United States because we've been so sheltered from the realities of the world that now all of a sudden things are changing so quickly, it's difficult. I'll give you an example over the holiday season, over the Christmas break. We, I know of dozens, but I'm sure there were hundreds of people who were executed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And what they're doing, they're, they're parading them. Go look, it's not hard to find. These are Christians, and some of them are literally being beheaded on the spot because they claim to know Jesus Christ. That's the world we live in. We look at the state of the world against Israel. We, we look at all that's happening in politics and Listen, right now, you, you even say the word Jesus, and people are like, no, 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 you can't do that, and you can get fired from your job, and you're, you're thinking, well, at least we can still talk about God. Guys, it's going toward God as soon as they think it's politically beneficial to speak against God. It's, it goes to all different facets of our life in terms of our freedoms to be able to speak about Jesus as well, Right? It's going to get worse and worse right now. I just read an article, uh, two of them actually, and it's talking about right now what's happening even in our public libraries throughout the country. Right now in Detroit and in New York and in Philadelphia. Detroit, that's in Michigan, by the way. I know we're in West Michigan, the good part of the state, but that's in Michigan. That's what, I got that from you guys. And we have public libraries bringing in drag queens to read to young children to indoctrinate them that that's what sexuality is. That's happening today in the United States of America, and we are continually muzzled in speaking about Jesus. The power of the gospel is greater than that. And I'm, don't worry, right now some of you might have some hair standing on the back of your neck and going, he's about to go political. I'm not going to go political, I'm going to go gospel. Jesus is greater than that. 
And so not only do we want to ask boldly, we want to respond with courage, and we want to have faith regardless of the difficulty. We want to believe regardless of the hardship. And hear me say, this isn't about me being angry. This is about me being sad for those who have not encountered the transformational eternal power of Jesus. Please hear it. Please hear me now. When I speak about these things, it's not because I'm angry. It's because I want everybody to encounter the power of Jesus. And we know that one of the greatest ways that Satan works is that he just gets us to take one small step. Well, I'm not going to speak about that anymore. It might offend someone. One small step. Well, you know, I'm going to not worry about church right now. I'm going to go do such and such. And all of a sudden, we start to buy into other thinking. Well, you know, one small step. All this, that's how Satan works. And we're allowing it to consume our lives. We want to have faith regardless of fear and to speak boldly on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's who Chapel Point desires to be. We want to ask boldly, we want to respond with courage, and we want to believe regardless of fear. Maybe you think about the U.S. Embassy in Iran just completely annihilated and destroyed. Guys, it's happening all over the place, and instead of speaking poorly of it, what I want to do is I want to, we need to be praying. We need to have a revival of even prayer in our churches today. What this reminds us of is that we will not be spiritually apathetic. That's what we see in this passage. Here's Peter asking boldly. boldly. He even responds with courage. But what we want to do is we want to learn from him. And even in the midst of fear and taking our eyes off of Jesus, we want to readjust our eyes. And maybe that's what you need to do. And as a church, I'm committing to you that we will do everything we can to keep our eyes focused on Christ and nothing else. Because in the midst of removing your eyesight from Jesus, you get distracted by circumstances. And maybe some of you need to say, you know what, maybe I've become distracted. And I've started to sink in my faith. And then even goes further, it says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. And it tells us those in the boat worshipped him as a response, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. One of the things that we learn from this passage is not only that he was willing to ask boldly, that he responded with courage, and that he needed to believe even in the midst of fear, but as a response of encountering transformation through Jesus Christ, they worshipped recklessly. You, you can just imagine the worship right then on that boat. The wind stops. Jesus is sitting there, and it says that they worshipped. And I know that sometimes we equate worship with sitting back and watching. Worship is about engaging with the eternal God to glorify him and to bring him praise. They worshipped That's the goal of 2020, that we would worship in such a way. I'm not kidding. My prayer is that the ground beneath us begins to shake because of our worship to the eternal God. Are you willing to allow yourself to look beyond the fear and to take your eyes toward Jesus, to allow your families to worship in such a radical way? Your families. Part of my prayer is that the homes represented in this room would shake from the presence of God. My prayer is that you would get on your knees Fathers, husbands, please listen to me. Get on your knees with your families and beg God to fill your homes with the presence of God. Please. 
Isn't this what it is to be a follower, a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, to get on your knees, to let your children see you are his slave and you will worship nothing but him? To have that type of courage instead of fear. Well, I don't know what my kids are going to say. I don't know. I've never done this before. To have the boldness to worship in such a way that you're going to stand at the street corner of your neighborhood. And you're going to let people know about Jesus or at least knock on the door. Take your neighbor some cookies and say, I wanted to bring this to you because I want to know how I can pray for you. Two easiest ways to have a conversation about Jesus, right? Speak about it all the time. You look at someone and say, how can I pray for you right now? Or you say, hey, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? And you start to have the conversation because you want to worship him in such a powerful way. Yesterday morning, I woke up, and now part of me thinks maybe I woke up yesterday morning. I was like, I felt like, it felt like Sunday to me, and I, was, I came here really early before anybody else, and I was like ready to preach. Shocker. And I just started writing. I'm like, God, through Scripture, just show it to me. What do you want Chapel Point to really be about? Well, I think Chapel Point needs to be a church that understands that we need partners, not just customers. Partners are people who are willing to serve. I'm asking for you to sacrifice, there's Romans 12, 1 and 2, and to serve with us in this place. Too many people are coming in and out of the church as, as simple customers. and like, well, I like this, I like this, and you may engage, you may not engage. And we're teaching our children, by the way, it's always a slow fade, right? What happens is if you're not really engaged in the church and you come twice or three times a month, the next generation comes once or twice a month, and the next generation says, I don't want anything to do with it. That's what happens. What are you teaching? What are you modeling for your families, for your, for your children? Are you willing to sacrifice and to serve with us, to be a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ? God desires that Chapel Point is a church that does more than simply claim Jesus, but that we are a church of transformed followers who carry Jesus everywhere we go. The Chapel Point is a church where we have the courage to take him to school, the courage to take him to work, the courage to take him to the ball field, the courage to take him to the gas station, to the grocery store, to our neighbor's house. We're a church that has the courage to pray big because we know how big God is and we want his presence to be palpable in such a way where really, truly the ground shakes. Where we not only claim the power of God, but we believe in the power of God. That CP be a church that speaks to others about that very power because we know that silence is concurring with and the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love and his passion is too great not to share. God desires Chapel Point to be a church that doesn't live in fear, but that we will stay grounded in the Bible and the Word of God because there is only one truth to preach. There's only one. And that we're going to stand firmly on that foundation, knowing that that truth is eternal. Let's be that church. We're going to be a church that will never compromise the faith of Jesus Christ. Chapel Point is to be a church that wants to engage in kingdom expansion because we know that when we engage in kingdom expansion, it's about more than us. It's about God. Chapel Point is to be a church that chases Jesus, whether we are sleeping or eating or working or just walking around. 
Chapel Point is to be a church of worship because he is worthy. Will you allow God to transform your life in 2020 to be a sacrifice for him? to sacrifice for him, to declare his goodness, and to join with us in being that type of church, to ask boldly, to have courage despite fear, and to live according to his purpose and his wills and his way. Will you be that with us? Let the ground shake because of the greatness of God. We need the ground to shake. We need the glass to break. We need the, the, the roofs to be removed. We need to recognize the power and the splendor of Jesus Christ. And he absolutely adores you. God, I pray that we ask boldly. God, I pray that we respond with courage and that we have faith in the midst of fear and that we worship recklessly, that we always call out how great you really are. We are transformed followers of Jesus. We belong to you and we desire to sacrifice as you have sacrificed to give you absolutely everything in life. May we ask boldly that you do a mighty work. Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and worship?